Thank you for that. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 today. Colossians chapter 1. I thought this was funny. Uh, things you'll never hear rednecks say. Now there's 39 of them. Uh, so I'll just give you a few. You'll never hear rednecks say, I'll take Shakespeare for a thousand, Alex. I'll have grapefruit instead of gravy and biscuits. Who's Dale Earnhardt? You'll never hear Redneck say, who's Dale Earnhardt? You'll never hear Redneck say, checkmate. You'll never say him here, there's an episode of Hee Haw they haven't seen. You'll never hear him say, who's Alvis? And you'll never hear Redneck say, I don't have a favorite college football team. Corny, there's 39, I don't think I'll read anymore. Good to see everyone out this morning. I'm reading Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read also from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, used to say the three most important things in his life were God, family, and McDonald's. But he said, when I went to McDonald's, I reversed those. It was McDonald's, family, and God. And, of course, that's not the right way to live your life because God has to be first when you're at work, when you're at home, not just when you're at church, he has to be first. And today we're talking about the Lord Jesus, and it's all about Jesus. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about him. It's all about him. In Colossians chapter 1, if you want to stand, we'll read a couple of verses, and we're not actually going to read our text. We're going to study verses 15 to 19, but look at verse 14. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Then look at verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of, his, of the cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So the context is preceded by redemption through his blood. And right after the context, it picks up and talks about peace through his blood. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ makes it all possible, and that's why it's all about him. He has to be number one. He has to be first place in your life. We'll read one more portion of verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 4. I'm just going to read the last line in that. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But in this chapter 4 and 4, the last line in chapter 4, verse 4 says, Who is the image of God? Who is the image of God? And, of course, it says he should shine into them. Who is the image of God? Jesus Christ is the image. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world, Lord, that will have that peace that comes from the blood. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't been redeemed by the blood, help them to realize you've already paid the price because you sent Jesus Christ, your son, your only son, and he gave all his, his blood to pay for our sins. And, we have to repent and call on him in salvation. And we pray that whosoever will today will make that decision, will choose to trust Jesus as their Savior. Bless now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Colossians, <laughs> written by Paul from a Roman prison. He had never been there. He was writing a church that was started by another man in 412. It tells us his name was Epaphras, 
who started the church, but Paul is writing the church. The church is in decline at this time. While it was originally built on a route of travel overlooking the Lycus River, and people would travel through there to get their goods, now things have changed and the city wasn't needed and it was sort of in decline. In fact, today there's a tell there, which is an archaeological mound, but today the city's been abandoned. But back then, Paul's writing this church. Here's a city that at one time was pretty prominent. Cyrus had passed through there. Remember, Cyrus is mentioned by Isaiah 170 years before he was even born. Now think about that. Isn't that fascinating? Mentioned by Isaiah 170 years before he was even born. He passed through there. He was the head of the Persian army. Remember, Persia today would be the Iranian people. And then we know Xerxes passed through there. And he was a Mede. Today, the Medes, we would consider the Kurds. In fact, Cyrus um, had a granddaughter, Mary Xerxes. So these two nations kind of came together by marriage, as many of these nations did. They had both passed through this city. Philemon was from this city. And of course, as I said at one time, a great city. However, they had a problem, and Paul's writing to deal with the problem. When Bryce said he had seen invisible people today, I thought, we're talking about Gnosticism today. All this meditation stuff and all this goofy stuff. I know Bryce was a slip of the tongue. But they had a problem with Gnosticism. Part of that was also the worship of angels. Look in chapter 2, verse 18. And you'll want to mark your Bibles because, I mean, there's a denomination that has uh, the worships Michael on the 29th of September. Uh, Michael Mass. And so we know that we're not supposed to worship angels. Plato, we're looking at chapter 2, verse 18. Plato said 400 years before Christ, when Plato lived, he said angels were eternal beings and were part of creating the universe. And that's, of course, false teaching. Angels are servants. In fact, they're uh, uh, servants of us, and we thank God for their, their service. They don't even understand salvation. So they're not like we are. They don't have a, an inner man, and they can't be saved. Chapter 2, verse 18, notice what it says here. Let no man beguile you of your reward in the voluntary humility, and what? Worshiping of angels. You're not supposed to worship angels. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And then we'll go back to Colossians. Chapter 22 of Revelation, verses 8 and 9. I, and, and I, John, saw these things. Remember, John had the vision, and I heard them. And when I had heard them and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See... Do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. Don't worship me. I'm your fellow servant. So we don't worship angels. And they did. The Gnostics did. And they had, of course, a false teaching. So Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And he's sending this letter to the people of the Colossian church to say, don't worship angels. Don't do these things the Gnostics are teaching you. But we're in verses 15 through 19, and that's our text today. And we're going to look at a little bit of meat today. You know, as, as believers, we need milk when we're young, but sometimes we need meat. And sometimes maybe I give a little too much information, but today it's going to be kind of heavy. So you want to mark your Bible and learn today. But first of all, we notice the pre-existence of Christ in verse 15. The pre-existence of Christ. It says here, who is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of every creature. Now, Genesis tells us that God said, let us make man in our image. We're made in the image of God. But we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that he is the image of God. And Hebrews 1, 3 says he's the exact or the express image of God. He's more than an image on a coin. He's more than uh, seeing your reflection on a pond or in a mirror. He is the very image of God, not just made in his image. We know so many scriptures that point to that. Whenever the cults come to my house, I go to Isaiah 9, 6. They forgot to change that in their Bible, the New World Translation. And I said, look at Isaiah 6. For unto us a child is born. And it goes on to say, he should be called the everlasting father. And they struggle with that because that concept of Jesus becoming God or becoming the, being the everlasting father, excuse me, not becoming, but being the everlasting father. The Trinity, we accept it. Do we understand it? No. Pastor, you don't understand the Trinity? No, I do not. I don't understand how Jesus can be eternal. I don't understand how there's no time with him. But I accept it by faith. So we accept the virgin birth by faith. Faith. I, I don't know how a woman could have a baby without, you know, uh, having a relationship physically with her husband. I don't understand that, but the Bible says it. And so Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We call that the incarnation. He's also the son of God and he is God. And so the Trinity, the three, we believe that, but we also believe the one. The three are one. He said to Philip, Philip, how long have I been with you? Were you why, why would you ask me that question, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said in 1030, I and my Father are one. And so we see clearly the Trinity and the deity and the importance of that in Scripture. And so here we see his preexistence. He's the image of the invisible God and then the firstborn of every creature. And this is a problem because if you take the English reading, you begin to think, well, is he the firstborn? He was born in Bethlehem. That's not at all what it's talking about. There were plenty of people born before him, right? The word firstborn comes from a Greek word. It means source. He's the source of all creation. The word firstborn doesn't have to do with his natural birth. It has to do with his place. He's first. He's in first place. It has to do with priority. A simple explanation is the source, but the context is clear. He produced creation. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created. There it is right there. By Jesus were all things created. And we know it's talking about Jesus because we have his redemption from his blood in verse 14. It's talking about Jesus and for by him all things were created. And we find the word firstborn is used twice. We said it's the source. The context is clear. And really in the LXX it means he had priority. Priority over creation. You'll find that in a couple places in the Old Testament. I meant, I'm talking about the Old Testament now. And we know uh, that, that he is superior in position is what that means over there in Deuteronomy. So he is the source. He is the firstborn in meaning he is, should be in first place. Why? Because by, all, by him all things were created. Look, by him were all things created that are in heaven and in the earth. That's a word G for geology there. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities, that's our word arch, 
Harris and Arch Harris, Arch, we use Archbishop, Archangel. He's the head of all things. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn. And so this is kind of deep stuff. But the bottom line is when you leave here today, I want you to understand that Jesus was there in creation. He's the source. He's first in position in everything we do should be pleasing to God as we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16 again. For by him. 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 6 says this. By whom are all things. By whom are all things. In other words, without Jesus, there wouldn't be anything. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John's a fantastic book. You know that. The thing I love about John is when I first became a Christian, I was 12 years old, I read through John and I understood it. And then after preaching through John so many times and teaching through John in Bible college and so forth, I still learned from John. John's so simple and yet so profound. And I can find so much depth in John even after being a Christian for 50 plus years. That's what I love about John. And here's a very powerful chapter because it says in the beginning, we find that phrase beginning in Genesis and 1 John and here in John. In the beginning was the word. And that's the word logos. You know that. And it goes on to say the word was God and the word became flesh. And that ties God and Jesus all together here. The same was in the beginning with God. And notice verse 3. All things were made by him. Him. Who is that? Who are we talking about? Well, you know, it's Jesus, but let me make it clear. In him was a life, and the life was the light of men. The word life. There are three Greek words translated life. You probably ought to know this. Bios, we get our word biology. Zoya, Zoya, we get our word zoology. And psych, we get our word psychology. They're all in your Bible, and they're always translated life. And who gives us life? We know that already. The Lord Jesus. But here he's the life, and he's the light of of men. It builds from here. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. This is the word phosphorus for light. And then it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Who is that? John the Baptist. And who does John introduce to, the, to mankind? The Lord Jesus. Says the same came for a witness to bear, light, to bear witness of that light. So who are we talking about now? Jesus. You say, but it starts out saying in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Jesus is God. That's the whole point of John chapter one. Jesus is God. And the same came to bear witness of that light. Verse nine, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Do you know every child is born in this world? The Lord gives him a light, a conscience. He knows God exists. He gets to a place in his life where he understands scripture, understands that he's a sinner, and he makes a choice. Well, I don't want to go to Sunday school. And maybe he's still, uh, as an adult, I don't want to go to church. I don't want anything to do with God. And that man has to repent because all we like sheep have gone astray. And because of sin, we're going to go to hell if we don't repent. And so that person has a light, a conscience telling them right from wrong. I was, uh, I've told you this, I think, already, but I was, remember, with Dennis Rasmussen, who was on Discovery Channel, and I was witness to him, and I went to, with him to an island that we had a study of primates there, and uh, he was telling me, he didn't believe in God, of course, and I gave him a great book to help, help reach him, but he was telling me about how, 
you know, he doesn't believe in God and, and he sees the same characteristics in human beings at, that he does in primates and all that stuff. But he believes we're related to them. And of course, I, I explained to him, I'm not, you may be, but I'm not. But he's explaining this stuff to me. And then he's telling me a story a half hour later. He said, well, this particular monkey we're studying, when uh, the, um, uh, the, the male monkey wants to, he'll go off and grab a baby out of the mother's arms and rip the head off throw the baby down and suck the brains out. And I'm like, what do all the other monkeys do? Well, initially the mother makes some racket and then it all ends and they're all fine with it. And I said, now Dennis, you don't see the difference in mankind and monkeys. People got, would get up, if, if someone went and ripped the baby's head off, how would we all react? We'd cry, we want that person put to death. The Bible teaches capital punishment, by the way. We want that person punished. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Of course we'd be upset. Why? Because we have an inner man. That conscience. That inner man that says that's wrong. Without, without God's word, we wouldn't really be able to distinguish right from wrong. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do, why do we say this morning... It's wrong for a man to have another woman when he's married. Why do we say that? Because the Bible says it. Take the Bible out without, you, you see, you can't take God out of things because God doesn't move. He's here. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I remember I'd, I'd approach college students and I'd say, now think of this. Tell me why it's wrong. You can't use the Bible or any laws in America, by the way, which were all based on the Bible, you know. You can't, you can't take any law that America has on the books that was based in the Bible and tell me it's wrong for a man to cheat on his wife if no one ever knows. No one gets hurt. If his wife never finds out, his kids don't find out, what's wrong with it? And before I said you can't, you can't, you can't say that, well, it's, it's, against, it's against the law. And I said, hold on a minute. Remember, the laws came from the Bible. You see, we, we can't live without God as a normal society. A country needs laws. Even when a country says, all right, it, it's okay now for a person to marry someone of the same sex. That's okay now, we'll make it legal. Still doesn't settle it in here. They still don't have peace here. You know why? They have a conscience. And initially that conscience says, that's wrong. Now they can go on and do that and eventually their conscience will be seared and they can do it without guilt eventually. But why do people not want to always share that they're in a relationship like that? Because there's a conscience saying to them, something's wrong here. You see, we're not the same as animals. We're a greater created being. We're created in God's image. Jesus is God's image. He's the exact image. So by him, and it goes on to say, you know, the rest of the passage here, it, it says that, that he's the true light. And then back to verse 16 of our text in chapter 1, verse 16 of Colossians. For by him were all things created. And then the last night it says all things were created by him and for him. We could keep going and add every kind of preposition you want there. Uh, through him, into him, with him. I mean, he is everything. One writer said he takes precedence. Now look at verse 17a. 
The last part of my first point, the preeminence, it says, and he is what? Before all things. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2 says he's from everlasting. Jesus has always existed because he's God. He's the son of God, yes, but he's also God in the flesh. He's always existed. Then the next thing we want to mention is the preservation. Look at verse 17b. And by him all things consist. And that's a powerful statement. This means here all things are held together by him. Do you know why the earth spins like it spins and then revolves through uh, the planets like it does around the sun? Because he holds it in place. You know why we don't worry as Christians about global warming? Because <laughs> the Bible says in Revelation 16, 8, the sun is going to scorch men. But guess what? That's the great tribulation. We're not here. We're raptured out. So we let these people worry about it, and we just think, oh, brother, do you really think, what do you think God thinks of us thinking we can control the weather? Well, let's cut down our, on our emissions. Hey, India... And China are committing 85% of the emission problems and they want us to pay $5 a gallon for gas and cut down and all that stuff. Listen, it goes against the Almighty God to think we can have anything to do with the weather. We read last week, God controls the storms. He controls the wind and the rain. Get that nonsense out of your head. Don't worry about global warming. We are believers and we don't have to worry about that. We're raptured out before that. Now, do I pollute? I try not to. I don't, I don't like it when people pollute. I don't like people throwing trash in the river. Years ago, I was on the interstate, coming up the ridge cut there. Coming, uh, it, someone threw a huge bag of, the big bag of crystal out the window. Cups and stuff was flying, bouncing off my windshield. I immediately called the police and said, here's the license tag. They threw it all over the road. I doubt they did anything. That bothers me. So I am not saying not to respect your environment. I'm saying this, we can't do a thing about the weather and global warming is not going to bother us. You know why? Because that ozone layer is protected by the Lord Jesus. By him, all things consist. He holds it all together. He holds it all. We don't have a thing to worry about because he holds it all together. I think about uh, the second law of thermodynamics. Let me slow down. You know, it says that all things become worse and worse. Goes against the very teaching of the world that things got better and better to bring about man. No, Jesus made man. And by him, all things, he created it all. And by him, all things consist. So we have here this great, great word that his preexistence, his preservation. And I love the word cosmos. We, we, it's translated world in your Bible. The word cosmos, you get the word cosmopolitan from and all those words, you know. And it means an ordered system. The very word means an ordered system. God didn't, didn't create this world so it didn't make sense. Everything God does makes sense. It all makes sense. We make sense. How our, We have the, the outer court and the holy place and the most holy place. You're just like, we're, we're now the temple. And your body, soul, and spirit, just like the temple he made. Everything God does has a purpose. Everything he created has a purpose. 
It's always interesting to me to watch these shows, and I really enjoyed one the other day where they introduced wild dogs to a place in Africa where they'd been killed off. And I, I like those kind of shows, and they're kind of helping out because the wild dogs are gone, and I, I'm glad for that. But it's just fascinating to me to see how they admit that, you know, Mother Nature is what they call it. Of course, I say it's Father God. And made it to where you need predators to deal with the dead animals that die or the, when the, you know, or deal with the abundance of deer. They had too many deer and these, these various uh, herbivores. And so they had to introduce wild dogs because the deer were just in abundance. You know, God made it that way to make sense. I mean, I don't like some of the creatures we have, but they do a lot of good. Why? Everything God made, there was a purpose for it. So here he says uh, in verses 18 and 19, we notice the preeminence here. Here he says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He's the head of the church. And then it says he's the beginning of, he's the be who is the beginning? The beginning. In the beginning, God. He's the beginning. He's the cause. He's the firstborn again. We've already mentioned he's the source. So he's the source, the firstborn from the dead. That What, what does that mean? First Corinthians tells us what it means. He rose from the dead. He wasn't the first to rise from the dead, so firstborn doesn't mean that. We had others that rose from the dead before Jesus, right? Study Elijah and Elisha. But you see, because he rose from the dead, we now will rise as well. Amen. At the rapture, we're going to come out of the ground. It's not going to be a big hole there. You'll just come right through. And you'll be immediately changed in one one hundredth, hundredth of a second. Boom, you're changed. That, that's the rapture. And so he's the source of that. He's the source. This word is only used once. A similar word is used in 3 John. Diotrephes loved to have the preeminence. You know what he wanted? He wanted to be first place. There's only one number one. The Lord Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And he is first place. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he might have what? Preeminence. It's all about him. And look what it says. Why is it all about him? Why is it all about him? For it pleased the Father that in him should the fullness dwell. He's the fullness of God in his body. Why is it all about Jesus? Because it pleases the Father. Now, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit, but when we have church, we don't worship the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent to accomplish a purpose, to find a bride. He convicts people, just like he found a bride for Isaac, Eliezer, the, the servant did. He's a type of the Holy Spirit. He finds a bride for Christ by convicting people of their sin. And saving us, he regenerates us. The Holy Spirit is awesome. But we don't, he doesn't have a name because we're not to lift him up. He is, he is there to lift the Lord Jesus up. And God says, lift Jesus up and he'll draw all men. So it's all about Jesus. It says that he might, back up verse 18, that he might have the preeminence. The words might have is a Greek word, genitai, which means out of nothing. Wednesday night, I talked about that joke, and we've all heard the joke, you know. 
about how we can make this and we can make that. You know, I know God supposedly made the heaven and the earth, but look at all the things we make. We make steel and we make light bulbs and we, make, we made this building. And we can take sand, hold on a minute, get your own sand. You mean need sand to build cinder blocks? Get your own sand. See, Jesus made it all from nothing. He didn't have materials. He didn't say, well, go get me some materials down at the Junior's Building Supply. No. He built it from nothing. He spoke and it happened. And in each day, 24-hour day, he made something else from nothing. The only thing he used to make anything was Adam's rib to make Eve. But he made the rib in the first place. I like that. Verse 19, the word for connects it for it pleased the Father. It pleased the Father that everything is dwelling in him. Everything dwells in him. I love this story about a preacher in Scandinavia in the 19th century. He knew the king was coming to his church, so he prepared a special message because the king was a believer. So when the king came, he just talked about what a great king we have. He's a believer, and his whole message was about the greatness of this king. And the king left and went his way, and the preacher thought, man, I really did good. I, I really pointed out all his good. I'll bet he'll send me a thank you card. In a few days, a, a great big box arrived. This is a true story. He opened the box, and there's a life-size cross in there. And the instructions were to put it on the back wall of the church. The western wall is what he said, which was the back of that church. And he thought, we have all kinds of crosses. Why would the king send me a cross? And the king had instructions and he said, he said, <clears throat> put this on your western wall to remind you as a preacher of what you're supposed to be preaching. You see, the king did not like being exalted and lifted up in the church. The king came because he wanted to hear Jesus lifted up. It's all about Jesus. I don't come to church because I want to hear about a great person. I want to hear about Jesus. I want to sing songs about Jesus. Hey, we're just mortals. And I love it that he said, put it on the back wall so you'll see it every time. I'll guarantee that preacher never forgot to preach the cross after that. It's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus being first place in our lives. Every book in the Bible points to Jesus. I think of all the different titles he has, all the different names he has. None are sweeter than Jesus. The sweetest name I know, Jesus, 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 the sweetest name I know. It's because of the Lord Jesus I'm saved today. This morning I was on my stationary bike and I always start out and I, I, I thank the Lord. And I said, thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for my kids' salvation, for my siblings, for my grandparents, for my parents, for the Christian family. It's all because of Jesus my family saved. It's not because we're so special. No, we're, we were just sinners. When my grandparents got saved, they were sinners and they needed the Lord. And when my parents got saved, they needed the Lord. And when I got saved, I needed Jesus and he saved me. It's all about Jesus. He's the reason I'm even here today. And I thanked him for my grandkids' salvation. 
And then I prayed for a few of them that aren't really ready to be saved yet, and one that is and hasn't been saved. And so I, I pray for them every day for their salvation. But I thank Jesus. And I thank Jesus for the opportunity to preach this morning. I said, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve to stand up here. I stand up here because he called me. I stand up here and I say to you, and you, you know how I feel that I, I, I don't understand why God uses me. There's other people that could stand up here. I'm so undeserving. But thank you, Lord, that I have the thrill of preaching this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for all my provisions and my possessions. I have a nice house that we built 18, 19 years ago. Couldn't afford to buy a four-bedroom, so we built one. Had a friend help me through every step of the way. He said, now get, here's two good dozer, man. Get one over there. Get two quotes. Pick one you like best. And here's two block men. I went through the whole thing. And we built this house way cheaper than if I had bought it. People say, man, you got a nice house. You did a good job. I think, wait a minute. A Christian friend is why this house is here. And you know who put it on his heart to help me build that house? God. So really it was Jesus that built my house. He's a carpenter. He does a pretty good job. You see, he laid it on someone's heart to say, Brother Dan, let me help you. I build a bunch of houses. Here's a list of people. Call these two. Here's blueprint. He just helped me through the whole thing. And that probably wouldn't have happened. I know it wouldn't have happened if he weren't good friends of mine and a good builder. And we just think it's maybe an accident or a chance. No, God's sovereign. I have a nice house because of Jesus. Everything in my life is because of Jesus. So I thank them this morning for the goodness. And I, I thank them this morning. I said, Lord, you know, you know all I've done, Lord. And you know my heart. And you know my thought. And you know my depravity. Thank you, Lord, for all the second chances in life. <laughs> I like that about God, don't you? Just think, you say, well, that person's done this and that. Thank God for his grace. Amen. And you know what? He's given you second chances as well. Uh, don't sit there so high and mighty. Think it all, oh, that person, look at that person, look at that. Listen, you are what you are because of the grace of God. Not because of anything in you. You say, well, I'm pretty smart and I, I was able to become an engineer. You who gave you the brains that you have. Jesus, by him all things were created, and by him all things consist. It's all about him. So I thanked him for my heritage, for my opportunities, for my blessings. I said, thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you, Lord, for that. At each week, he answers another little prayer in my life. Why? Because he's good. He's a good Lord. People go through life thinking, boy, God's watching and I'm scared. The only time you need the fear of God, and the word phobia is used in the Bible. That's the word for fear. The only time you need to be afraid of God is when you're in sin. God's your best friend. And your heavenly father will turn you over his knee and you ought to be afraid of that. But you don't need to fear God when you're living right. He's the reason you can live right. He's the reason you're here today. Because he is good. There's a few things God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot fail. God cannot sin because of who he is. And Jesus is God. 
When he came, he felt the urge of temptation, but could not have sinned because of his character. Oh, I can sin. You can sin. Because our character's flawed. Did you know every one of you is dysfunctional? Isn't it funny how we think about the other guys being dysfunctional? When I got married, I thought, well, my wife's a little dysfunctional. <laughs> she does things different than I do. And you know what she thought? He's quite a bit dysfunctional. <laughs> we learned that we're all dysfunctional. We all have flawed character. All of us. You say, me, pastor, you. You are dysfunctional. Why? Sin is dysfunctional. And we're all sinners. And so because of our dysfunction and our sinfulness, we need God. And the only way to get to God is the one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life. And without accepting Jesus, you'll go to hell. There's no other way. No other way. People say, well, there's a lot of ways. No, there's one way. My Bible says one. There's one Savior, one Lord, and we must worship that one God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You can't get to heaven by going through Buddha. You can't get to heaven with Muhammad. The only Savior who rose again, history records it, thousands and thousands of records about it. I, I was interested the other day. There's 53 plus hundred, 5,300 plus of ancient Bible manuscripts. I think there's four documents of uh, Plato and one document of uh, one of these other ancient people. I can't remember who, but I thought that's interesting how for all these years we have all these Bible documents. Why? Because it's real and it changed lives. You know why people are in churches today? Because God's real and Jesus is real and he's the way. Let's pray. God, thank you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's never trusted Jesus, that they come forward to be saved this morning. And Lord, we know that if they come, we'll have people to take the Bible and show them how to be saved. And we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus the only way, the only truth, the only life, the one mediator. That he paid for all of our sins on Calvary, but we have to repent of our sins and trust him, Lord. We ask you to speak to hearts about repentance today. And that our altars remain open for anyone who needs prayer. Help this to be a day of great decision, Lord, in the hearts of people. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus, our Savior, the only true God and true Lord, who will one day sit on the throne and judge the world. And the books of the Bible will be opened. And the word, the living word, Jesus, will be there to judge our lives. Lord, we're saved. We don't have to face the great white throne judgment. We'll be at the beam of seat. But those that are not saved, their lives will be put on display. They'll be exposed for what they are. God, I pray for their salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.